0: Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. This is your first time with us. I want to um, thank you for finding us, however you did. A um, couple things I want to draw your attention to. Um, there's these white cards that are kind of new. Um, there's a list of everything that's going on this week. If you didn't get one of these, uh, you can get them in the back. It tells you everything going on this week and also what's coming up uh, in September. Some cool things coming up. Uh, one of the cool things is our first year anniversary is a church in, in this building, um, which is pretty significant, seeing as we're a new church plant. That's, something, uh, that's a milestone to make it to our first year and still be going at it, uh, which is all by the grace of God. The other important thing I want to draw your attention to is um, tonight we will have the fourth week of the I Love the Church series. This is uh, our membership class. This is also... Um, Christianity 101, if you will. Tonight, we're going to be talking about something that's uh, very practical um, and should be um, very key in our lives, and that's uh, the mission of the church and why we do what we're doing here. And I think sometimes um, we treat church like we treat a lot of other things in our lives. It's just, it's one more thing I have to do, or it's one more piece um, of my life, and we We kind of have our nice little church box that we do our church things in. We have our work box. We have all these nice little compartments um, in our lives. When you read the New Testament, you read the Apostle Paul writing his epistles to the church, what you see is the church isn't just something that we do, among all these other things. The church ought to define who we are. It's the one thing that we find our identity in. It's where we find our meaning and our purpose in life as humans. And his people created in his image, designed to worship him and glorify him. So that's a little bit of what we'll be talking about tonight, and then kind of how that works out in our mission and what we're doing um, in the community and in the world um, as a church. So I encourage you all to come out for that. Let's take a moment uh, and pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for gathering us together as your community. And I pray that uh, this morning our hearts would be open to uh, your spirit and to your word, that you would work in our lives, transform us, so that we may better be able to glorify you in every aspect of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. My name
1: is uh, Michael, and uh, Jeremy was up here welcoming you before, and I will throw my uh, welcome into you as well. So thank you for coming to, uh, to visit uh, and be with us uh, this morning. So we are uh, in the midst of a, a series in Proverbs, and this morning specifically, uh, we're going to be talking uh, about marriage. So uh, before I get there, I wanted to pray. Um, and uh, uh, one thing I will point out, uh, Jeremy, as he uh, mentioned, Jeremy's actually going to be teaching tonight on Missional Church. Come back for that at uh, 6 o'clock in the p.m. Uh, if you have little humans, uh, we will watch them and care for them and entertain them. Uh, while you are uh, here at uh, the church uh, membership class. So uh, please feel free to bring uh, some of your kids with you, and uh, we will do a good job of making sure that they uh, uh, have plenty of sugar and caffeine so that when they go home, they will be... I'm just kidding. Um, But uh, please come back tonight at 6. And then uh, something we're doing this Saturday night that we've never done before um, is uh, we're having just a night of worship. Um, And so this Saturday at 8 o'clock... Worship on Sunday mornings, we always get to do four, five, six songs, and you kind of get into it, and you're like, oh, let's just keep going, uh, and then we stop. So uh, this Saturday, 8 o'clock, we're just going to have a night of worship. So uh, I encourage you to come back. Uh, I know we have church about 12 hours after that, uh, 14 hours after that or so, Uh, but uh, please come back for just a great night of worship. And then uh, next Sunday morning, uh, just to give you a heads up, Uh, A good friend of mine uh, who's an uh, artist-musician named P.W. Gopal uh, who has been with Genesis and done some concerts for us and actually led worship is uh, playing up at Soul Fest uh, this week, uh, this coming week, and then uh, will be with us next Sunday morning uh, to do some music and uh, to lead us in worship. So uh, some things going on this week. Let me pray. Father God, uh, I'd ask that you, God, uh, would just do a great thing Uh, in this place uh, today. Uh, God, not just for us, but I just pray that you would be ultimately glorified. And uh, God, as we're talking specifically uh, about marriage, uh, for some people it's just a really hard thing to even talk about because the marriage they find themselves in is a mess. Uh, So God, I just pray that uh, you would bring great encouragement. Um, God, just great blessing uh, to those who are married and just in in a tough spot. Uh, God, I just pray today would be a new day. God, for those who are married and uh, in a different season, I just pray that they would be encouraged and challenged and equipped um, just to keep going hard after you and hard after their spouse. Uh, and Father, to people here who uh, are single uh, and maybe thinking about marriage, I just pray that today, as we talk about purpose and what the biblical picture of marriage is, it would just be helpful and it would be beneficial. Even if it's months or a few years out, I just pray, God, that uh, you would speak. Uh, To us in this place today, that we would hear you rightly, and uh, God, that we would ultimately respond to you, um, what you communicate to each of us. So we commit ourselves in this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. I say marriage, what do you think about, or what comes uh, to mind? Um, Maybe a little word association, if you will. I say marriage, I'm guessing some people get pretty fired up, they get pretty excited They're like, I'm loving it, I'm digging it, it's the greatest thing ever. Or you get excited thinking about getting married one day. You might not have a boyfriend or girlfriend right now, but the thought of marriage just gets you so fired up, bless you, that you're just all smiles when it comes to marriage. Um, Some people, you even mention the M word, uh, and it's just nothing but pain. uh, From either where you've been in marriage or things that you've seen in marriage. And so even the thought of marriage just brings just nothing but pain. Uh, For some, it honestly just might be fear and anxiety. Uh, Again, things that's happened, things you've seen, but just you get really anxious when you even start thinking about marriage, whether it be your own, whether it be some friends of yours, whether it be one that you would want to have one day. Um, So from excitement to pain, fear... There's got to be some people in here, when you even mention uh, marriage, you get pretty ticked. You get pretty angry uh, because of something that happened maybe with your parents growing up. And the thought of you and marriage, you just run uh, because it just stirs up these feelings of bitterness and hurt and just ultimately anger. Um, And then I'm guessing there's also people who are just genuinely, uh, genuinely confused. I have no idea what it's all about. Uh, I think it's a good idea, but I just have no concept. I grew up in maybe a broken home. Mom and dad were divorced, or mom and dad got remarried and then remarried and then remarried and such. Um, So your concept idea of marriage is at best just confused. You just don't know what to think about it. As I think about um, marriage relationship, I can't think of any other relationship that can cover such a breadth of emotions from excitement, and pain, and fear, and anger, and confusion, because in the marriage relationship, I'm called to give myself to my spouse physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, relationally. I'm called to give all of who I am, mess and all. I'm called to give myself to her, and she, uh, we'll just call her Kyla, uh, is to (laughs) give herself physically, and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, relationally, she is called to give all of herself to me. There's no other relationship, uh, human relationship that is, where that's a reality, where you're called to, to give of yourself in that capacity. And so when that relationship is just broken, or at least that relationship is being beaten on, um, it's really, really, really hard. And it's ultimately the broken beaten on is not how God's designed it. Uh, one verse in Proverbs. This is uh, what Solomon says. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. That's a tame verse, by the way. If some of you are like, wow, did someone mention a doe and breasts and satisfied in, in the scripture? That's really tame, actually, for what the Bible teaches what the marriage relationship is meant to be and meant to look like. Have you ever heard anyone in marriage use such passionate language when describing their marriage? When you talk to someone and say, What's marriage like? Has anyone ever responded to you by saying, I'm blessed? I rejoice. I am completely, absolutely, 100% satisfied. I am captivated with my husband. I am captivated with my wife. It's a good chance not many people uh, are talking like that. So whether you're married or whether you're single, uh, here's a question for you. How do you describe your marriage relationship? And if you're single, how would you, if you desire to get married one day, how would you actually want to describe your marriage relationship? Because I wonder if things like when you ask people, how's marriage or what are you looking forward to in marriage? Well, it's, it's a lot of work, but I, I'm willing to pay that price. Or someone who's actually married, man, it's a lot of work, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Or someone, a husband might say, man, she's got a lot of issues and she's just got baggage, but I'm learning to deal with it. Or my husband, he's pretty lazy, not very disciplined, not a great communicator, and actually kind of smells funny, but I'm just, I'm getting used to the scent, and I'm learning to deal with um, his issues. Or you look at people, and you just say, how do you describe your marriage? And it's this blank expression, like deer in a headlights, because they just have nothing to say. And behind the glazed look on their eyes is this little voice you can hear just saying, please help me. It's this person who just doesn't even, can't put expression and words to their marriage relationship or uh, how they would describe it. Would you be okay with that? Are you okay with, if you're married, are you really okay with just saying, yeah, we're good, we're hanging in there, it's tough, but we're dealing, or, like, are you okay with that? And if you're not married and thinking about one day getting married, is it really gonna be good enough for you to say, uh, well, I hope we survive. I hope we make it. I hope we handle it. It's going to be all this type of work. I hope not. Like I just see in, in scripture at least such a different picture of what the marriage relationship is meant to look like. And it's not the relationship presented to us in culture. Uh, two weeks ago, Cameron Diaz um, is a movie actor, actress, actor, and um, she was interviewed by, uh, I think U.S., Weekly, some fashion magazine, actually. And uh, this is what she said about marriage. Uh, I think the big misconception in our society is that we're supposed to meet the one when we're 18, and we're supposed to get married to them and love them for the rest of our lives. Bull expletive there. Who would want to be with the same person for 80 years? She was interviewed, asked, What do you think about marriage? And that was Cameron's response. The last question, who would want to be with the same person for 80 years? Bertrand Russell is um, not a big fan of God, Uh, did not have many uh, gracious, kind things to say about Jesus as well. Uh, Very prolific, profound uh, writer, author, speaker, uh, but very antagonistic uh, against the things of God and the gospel. And uh, this is a man um, who's uh, early 19th century, wrote a lot, said a lot, um, went through four marriages, had four wives, and uh, had multiple um, affairs uh, that were at least uh, recorded. And this is what he said. They may fall deeply in love and be for some years entirely absorbed in one person, But sooner or later, sexual familiarity dulls the edge of passion, and then they begin to look elsewhere for a revival of the old thrill. That's a quote from one of his books called uh, Marriage and Morals. That last part, it dulls the edge of passion, and then they begin to look elsewhere for a revival of the old thrill. Our culture has a very different idea of what marriage is supposed to be, Uh, than certainly what the Bible proclaims uh, it must be. Uh, But a question for you as you think about marriage, is marriage really about your happiness? Is marriage about you being happy? Because if it is, then what happens when you grow unhappy? If marriage fundamentally, foundationally, is about your happiness, then there will come a day, and it will come quickly actually, um, when you grow unhappy. And according to people like a Cameron or uh, Bertrand would say, when you become unhappy, you just begin something new. Uh, this is uh, a book called Mere Morality. Uh, Louis Schmieds is an uh, author, um, theologian, and he said this, Only a fool would claim to know all that marriage is for. But perhaps our culture has made fools of us all by getting us to believe that marriage is only for, the making peop, only for making people happy. Maybe culture has made fools of us all by getting us to believe that what ultimately marriage is about is for making people happy. I'm going to contend, as I think Scripture clearly does as well, the Bible, that if marriage is not about our happiness, what's it about? Because if you don't know what marriage is about and you're married... I don't know what to tell you. And if you're thinking about getting married and you don't know what the purpose of why you're actually doing that, I don't know what to tell you either. So I would really encourage you to really know what the purpose of marriage is, because if you don't know what it is, uh, you will bail at the first sign of unhappiness or discontentment or frustration, any of those things. If you know what the answer, if the question is, what's the purpose point of marriage, and you actually have an answer for that, then you'll have another answer to the question, question being, how can you cultivate then, if you know the purpose, how can you cultivate a marriage? That's just awesome. That's dynamic. That's passionate. That's sexual. That's intimate. Where you think about the marriage, I am captivated by my husband. I'm captivated by my wife. You're not the one just giving the answer of, it's good, I'm hanging in there. You have to know the purpose of marriage, and then you have to, once you know the purpose, then you know how to build a healthy, biblical marriage. And that's the two questions I'm really asking today, is what's the point of marriage, what's the purpose of it, and then secondly, how do you cultivate a biblical marriage? A marriage that is described, uh, according to Solomon, as blessed, rejoicing, satisfied, and captivating. Two questions, that's it. Before I get there, uh, two side notes, if you will. One side note, if you're single, it would be very easy for you to check out right now and be like, this is great for some people, I'm just not in the season of life right now. Don't do the easy thing. Stick with what Scripture's teaching what God would want to reveal to you about marriage so that if you do get married one day, you are not the man or the woman who heads into marriage clueless. You actually know this is the purpose of marriage and this is why I'm doing it. And I already know in advance of being married how to cultivate a marriage that would be awesome, that would be vibrant, that would be captivating. If you're single, don't do the easy thing and check out because it's a message on marriage do the hard thing, and listen to what God might have to say to you about marriage. And if you're married right now and you're miserable, if you're married right now and you would describe your marriage as just miserable, uh, then I hope today uh, that you would be uh, renewed of hope, that nothing is beyond God's redeeming, that whatever mess you might find yourself in, Whatever mess you are in, there is nothing that God cannot redeem. He can take what is mess and make something absolutely beautiful. So my heart and hope for you would honestly be, God, can you take what's a mess now and would you please begin to make something beautiful of it? I came across a, a poem uh, written by a woman whose name I'll tell you about in a second, uh, They were on their way to their 25th wedding anniversary, which is known as the Silver Anniversary, and um, uh, they got in this huge blowout fight on their way to their Silver Anniversary party. Uh, A couple hundred people had gathered, and uh, as typically happens, if you've been married long enough and you have this huge blowout fight, you learn how to put on that happy face because you don't want anyone to know that you're miserable or that you're fighting or that something is beyond perfect in your relationship. Reflecting after the party, uh, the wife wrote this poem called Going for Gold. What a way to prepare for our party. Was it you who hurt me or I you? Our smiles were constrained to seem hearty. Our veneer, a veneer we were all used to. May the next 25 be as great as the first, they said with their hugs and smiles. Well, I tried to dream up an alias. I'd adopt after bolting for miles, but I knew I would stay. How could I flee the one who knew me yet still loved me still? Then Beryl, whose years with Arnold were 60, matter-of-factly thawed my chilled heart. The years that are coming will be the best. The first 25 are the hardest, (laughs) If that's you, and you're just in this place where it is God-awful horrific, and you're tempted right now to bail, stick. God can redeem, God can take mess and make beautiful. What is the purpose of marriage? Proverbs 2, 16 and 17 gives us a pretty good answer. The father is giving wisdom to the son, and he's saying, If you have wisdom, it will protect you from the adulteress. The father to the son says this, It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Specifically, I want you to see verse 17 who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. According to at least cultural perspective, unhappiness in our present relationship is reason enough to begin a new one. If you are unhappy, that is grounds enough to say, I'm starting again. I will begin a new relationship and I'll try all over. Same book, uh, of Mere Morality, Lewis Mead went on to say, Our culture typically tells us to define our lives in terms of present needs and future possibilities, not commitments we have made in the past. What a great quote. Typically tells us to define our lives in terms of present needs and future possibilities, not commitments we have made in the past. If you're married here today, how important we are... The vows, meaning the covenant that you made. How important are those, those vows to you today? Whether you've just got married six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, 60 years ago, how important are the vows you made on your wedding day? Were they conditional or were they unconditional? Were your vows, the covenant you made, conditional or unconditional? I've done a lot of weddings. And I've done the vows, I lead the husband and the uh, wife, soon-to-be husband and wife, through their vows. I've never finished a vow with a a clause, that these vows are only conditional upon you doing X. Vows, at least in the weddings I performed and a lot of weddings I've been to, I've never seen a pastor, priest, minister, whoever, follow up vows with a conditional clause. If the purpose of marriage is our happiness, then when I grow unhappy, I will bail, I will quit, I will forget, I will walk away from the covenant, from the vows that I stood before and made to my wife or made to my husband, and ultimately made in front of God. I was not making vows or covenants just to Kyla, Kyla to me. We were making a covenant, a vow to God himself. John Piper wrote a great uh, book on marriage called This Momentary uh, Marriage, A Parable on Permanence. And uh, in answering the question, what's the purpose of marriage? He says this, it's a long quote. The ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. Just sit with that for a second because you have to ask yourself, if you're married and that's the purpose of my marriage to display God, that he would be glorified, God looks at this relationship and says, that's a good thing. And it's displaying something of God. Ask yourself the question, what is my marriage displaying right now? Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. And therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant of Christ and his church on display. I think the Bible teaches that. I agree wholeheartedly with what uh, Mr. Piper says. The purpose of marriage is to put the covenant of Christ and his church on display. It's not my happiness. My happiness is somewhere down the list, but the primary purpose, foundational purpose of marriage is to put the covenant of Christ and his church on display. So, an obvious question is if marriage is about displaying God, namely that covenant relationship, how can my marriage accomplish its greatest purpose? If it's that, then how can I make sure that my marriage would display that covenant relationship? And here's a very simple answer for you stay married. Stay married. Keep loving, keep forgiving keep being generous, keep being kind, keep being merciful, keep being gracious, keep forgiving, keep loving, keep being gracious. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for me, for you, for his church. The covenant that Jesus made to me, to you, to the church, is I'm with you always, forever. Never will I leave, never will I forsake. I have given, I don't know about you, I've probably given him more reason. I've given him ample reason for him to, to walk out on me. The amount of times that I sinned and said I wouldn't sin and only sinned again and said the same thing again and again and went back to Jesus and said, will you please forgive me? I've yet to exhaust the forgiveness and grace and mercy, kindness and compassion of Jesus. He hasn't left me. His promise is that he would stay. The way that I can fulfill the purpose of marriage of displaying the covenant relationship that Jesus has with us, the church, is to stay. And not just stay and be miserable and tough it out, but to stay and pursue, to stay and love, to stay and be gracious. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done to you. If there ever came a point where I just looked at Kyla and said, I'm done. I'm so unhappy, I'm so miserable in this. I'm, it's over. You've hurt me, you've done this, you've done this, whatever it might be. If I ever looked at her and said, it's, I'm done, count me out. I have just incorrectly displayed for Kyla, for my three kids, for my church, and for my culture that I live around, something that Jesus would never do. This is why scripture talks about marriage That it's just, it's a divorce, when you walk out, it's not displaying rightly, correctly, accurately, what Jesus would ever do. Does the Bible teach that there are grounds for divorce? Yes, I'm not, it's a different message. But if the purpose and foundational message of Scripture is that we are to glorify God, display God, specifically that relationship, Jesus and the church, I do that by staying. You might push back on me right now and say, Michael, you have no idea what my husband's doing. You have no idea how he talks to me, how he treats me. You have no idea what he does at two in the morning. Michael, you have no idea how my wife disrespects me. You have no idea how my wife, whatever she might do. I am not seeking to belittle anyone's pain, but I will seek to push you to say, that's why you need the gospel in your marriage. You won't survive if you don't have the gospel in your marriage. A question I often ask to pre-marrieds and marrieds that I meet with is will you allow the gospel to get in you so that the gospel can get out of you to him or to her? Meaning, if the gospel of grace says that you are loved, you are forgiven, compassion and mercy are from God to you, Will you let the gospel work in you so that you can give the gospel to your husband, no matter how much of a punk he is being? Because let's be honest, we've all been punks, very sinful, very rebellious, and there's never been a time where Jesus said, all right, I'm done with you and walked away. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote some letters uh, from prison. Uh, This was during the time of the Holocaust. And some of the letters that uh, Mr. Bonhoeffer wrote uh, spoke to the marriage relationship. And he says this in a book, Letters and Papers from Prison. God gives you Christ as the foundation of your marriage. Don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other, but accept each other as you are and forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. God gives you Christ as the foundation of the marriage. So if your marriage ever moves off of that foundation, you will judge, you will condemn, you will get bitter, you will get angry, you will not forgive. And it's a marriage that won't last and it's a marriage that ultimately does not display Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went on uh, to say this about marriage. Excuse me. It is a blessed thing to know that no power on earth, no temptation, no human frailty can dissolve what God holds together. Indeed, anyone who knows that may say confidently, what God has joined together, no man put asunder. We can never lose each other now by the will of God. We belong to each other till death. If you believe that you brought yourself together in marriage, um, it won't work. But if you believe that God brought you together, that God has given me, Kyla, Kyla, me, that it's, I certainly had a part in that, but if I believe ultimately, firmly, and confidently, as Bonhoeffer says, that it is God who has brought you together, then I have full 100% confidence that no matter what, what God has brought together, he won't let separate. Purpose of marriage is to glorify, display God. If you know that, that that's the purpose, then you can now start working towards, all right, if that's the purpose foundation I stand on, how can I now begin to build upon that foundation a home that I'm really fired up to live in, a relationship that I'm really excited to be part of, ultimately a relationship that the Bible teaches, uh, as I read in Proverbs 5, uh, 17 and 18. I'm going to give a few things to the husbands specifically, and then I'll transition and finish with a few things uh, for the wives. I'm not looking at all of Scripture right now. I'm focused in on Proverbs. So this is not an exhaustive list of building a, um, a, foundation or a biblical marriage. I'm specifically looking at what the Bible teaches in Proverbs. So a few things, men, husbands, please listen. The question is, how do I build a home that I'm really excited to live in? One that's on a firm foundation, but one ultimately uh, that is a solid, healthy home. Number one for the men, be at home. I know that doesn't seem like, okay, well, you got something more? I do. Proverbs 27, eight. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Like a bird that takes off is a man who strays from his home. Men, husbands, are you home? Are you just literally sharing a space? Are you roommates with your wife, your spouse? Or are you sharing a life? Are you sharing your heart? Your hurts, your frustrations, your dreams, your desires, your passions. Are you sharing yourself with her? Because if you're not, you're just sharing space. Like a bird that strays is a man who strays from his home. Most men have mastered the art of being in multiple places at one time. It's really ingenious. You can be physically present in your home, Your body is there, and I don't know if this is like a Jedi thing, but your mind can still be at work. Your mind can then also be over here to maybe some things coming up. Your mind can be over here thinking about sports or something like that. And your wife is just looking at you like, I see you, but is anyone in there? Are you husbands? Are you home?" question, how can I be at home? That's a question you need to go and ask your wife. Honey, what does it look like for me to be home? Not just physically, but how can I be home? I remember talking to Kyla about this uh, probably a few months back, maybe six months ago, something like that. Um, And one of the things that she said to me that would be, was just really helpful. She's done a phenomenal job of... uh, Uh, homeschooling our uh, oldest son, Tristan, this year. I mean, if I was homeschooled by her in a kindergarten, I would have done much better at Ohio State. I'm convinced of it. A phenomenal job. So one of the ways, practically speaking, that I can be at home and fully engaged, she said, was when you get home, ask me about what I did with the kids. Ask to see some of the things that I made and, and ask the kids specifically what they learned. It's one thing to say, how was school? Oh, good, great, and you move on. And then you're present, but you're gone. And so one practical step was talk to me about what I, what I taught them and how I learned and all of that kind of stuff. So husbands, how can you be at home? Ask your wife. Secondly, live as if you actually listened to what your wife said. Shocking advice, I know. But if she gave you an example like Kyla gave me, and I now know that and refuse to listen to that and implement that, I'm the fool and I'm cruel to my wife because I'm now doing something that I know she's asked me to do and I refuse to do it, and that's cruel. How can you be at home, ask your wife, and live as if you have listened? And gentlemen, just so you know, if you are not at home, there is a consequence to your absence. And the consequence is this, Proverbs 7.25, When the adulterous wife came out to meet the young, simple man, she said, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. And then verse 25, I've uh, copied it wrong there, is my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. It's a different verse. I uh, got the wrong address. But what Proverbs says, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. Husbands, if you are not home, guess who will not be at home either? She will not be at home. Why? Because she's desperate for you to be at home with her, engaged, investing in her. And if you travel, if you go, I'm not talking about traveling on a business trip. I'm talking about literally living in the same space, but refusing to be with her. Her heart, her mind, her person will start to drift. Number one is be at home. Number two is be pure. One of the greatest gifts you can offer to your wife, husbands, is your purity. Proverbs 5 says this, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? The question is, is what you have with your wife, is it just to be given to anyone and everyone, strangers, strangers, Isn't what is happening in the marriage relationship for the marriage relationship, not just for anyone, not for any passerbyer? Verse 17, Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Here's a great question. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? And then if you're still confused as to, should I go this way or should I stay? Verse 21, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. Husbands, just so you know, this is not the verse where you can go back to your wife and say, I own you. Like I have ownership on you. No, you go to your wife and say, we are partners together. This is an exclusive partnership. What I have with you, what you have with me is for us and us alone, not to be shared with anyone else. What does it mean to be captivated by another woman, husbands? This is the guy who is sitting around thinking to himself, huh, I wonder what it's like to be with her. I wonder what it would be like to be married to her. What does it mean to be captivated by someone else? Huh, I wonder what it would be like if she was my wife. If you start being captivated, you might say, well, I'm not going to actually follow through on those thoughts. I'm just thinking them. If you allow your thoughts, your mind, your heart to even go that way, You know who's going to know? Your wife. You may have not verbalized it. You may have not followed through on it. But your wife knows when you're not captivated with her. Your wife will know when you're starting to think about and wonder, huh, what it's like to be with someone else or be married to someone else. It's a very painful thing for a wife to know that she's been compared to... uh, another woman, because she's always on the losing end. To look at another woman and compare your wife to her, your wife will always lose. Because we never compare down. We always compare up. How does one remain captivated by his wife? And here's the answer for this one. Keep discovering your wife. Keep learning your wife. Keep growing in knowledge and intimacy of your wife. And if you say to yourself, well, I've already done that. I know all there is to know about my wife. Then you are doing a terrible job of leading your wife to become and be the godly woman that God's created, formed, fashioned her to be. That's not on her. That's on you. If you really think you've gotten to the end of your wife, you're not leading her. You're not serving. You're not loving her. I've known Kyla for 20 years, and she's just a different person than I met 20 years ago. And what I'm most excited about is 20 years from now, she's going to be different. Why? And not just physically look different. She will be a different person because she's grown, she's matured, and ultimately she's going to look a lot more like Jesus. I will not have gotten to the end of her, and I'm captivated by her continued growth. Number one is be at home. Number two is be pure. And number three, and this is the last one for the husbands, is be in love. Be at home, be pure. And number three, Proverbs teaches, be in love. Proverbs 30 verse 21 and then verse 23 says this, Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. And then verse 23 specifically says, An unloved woman who is married. Something that Proverbs teaches that is just ununderstandable. I cannot believe it is a married woman who's not loved. That just doesn't make sense. How is that possible? Be at home, be pure, and number three, be in love. Husbands, does your wife know that you love her? Well, yeah, I tell her. Anyone can say, that, say it. Does she know that you love her? She knows that you might love work because you're there. You think about it. You're consumed by it. You put in lots of time. She might know or she will know that you love your team. Why? Because the great disappointment comes when they lose and the great joy that comes when they, they win. She will know of your love for maybe your hobbies, things that you just love to do, Why? Because you're very intentional, protective of doing those things. So she knows that you love certain things, but does she know that you love her? Husbands, how can you grow in so your wife knows that you love her? There's uh, certainly, uh, I think, of the five love languages. Cheesy book, but helpful book. It says that there's specifically five love languages One being quality time, physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, and then gifts. Know what your love language, and love language means, know how your wife receives love, and then do that. It's very simple. And the beauty of those five, at least, for Kyla personally, for us, is her love language is not what it was a year ago. As she changes and goes through different seasons, so does her love language. So do those things. Practice those things. But I think of probably the best way that my wife can know that I absolutely love her is Proverbs 31 speaks of the Proverbs 31 woman. But behind that wife is a husband. And what's often neglected, at least in that, is because lots of attention gets drawn to this woman, this Proverbs 31 woman, is that behind her is a very loving husband. Proverbs thirty-one eleven says this, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. If you want your wife to really know that you love her, do you rejoice over her? Do you publicly praise her? Like, is one of the very first things that comes up in conversations when you're talking about, talking uh, with friends about whatever it might be is, man, guys, I just got to tell you, my wife is just, she's incredible. She's awesome. All right, shut up already. We get it. You love her. No, no, you really don't. She's amazing. And this is not just to do it because she's in earshot, but when she's not listening If you want your wife to know, or for her to know that you love her, rejoice, publicly praise her, so that people would know, I'm proud of my wife. I love who she is. I love what she's doing. I love how God's using her. I'm not threatened by her successes. I'm not put off by that. I rejoice over her, who she is, what God's doing. I love her, and I praise her. I don't worship her but I compliment her. Men, be at home, be pure, be in love. For women, we're going to go through these a little bit quicker. Men need just a little bit more work than women, so... <laughs> be at home, be pure, and be in love. And keep in mind, these are from specifically from the Proverbs, okay? Not from all of the rest of the Old Testament or the New Testament, but number one for women... What does it mean to build, cultivate part of a healthy home? You have a responsibility, wives, as well. Okay, You can't just check out and expect a house to get built around you. It is a partnership. You're doing this together with him to glorify God and to have a healthy healthy home. Number one for wives, be noble. If you are going to be a wife, be a noble wife. Proverbs 31.10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. And then in verse, uh, go back to chapter 12 of Proverbs, it says, a wife of noble character, husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. What a great question. A wife of noble character, where is she? Who can find this wife? She's a rarity. But she would not be a rarity if women were committed to, in their singleness, leading towards marriage, being noble. When I think about what it means to be noble, I think of William Wallace. Women, if you are not familiar with William Wallace, one way to communicate love to your husband is to go home and say, Hey, can we watch Braveheart together? (laughs) When I think about what it means to be noble, this is what Mr. William Wallace said to the Bruce. Now tell me, what does that mean to be noble? your title gives you claim to the throne of our country, but men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Now our people know you, noble and common. They respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they'd follow you. And then the big, big moment here where William looks at him and says, and so would I. And the Earl is like, oh. (laughs) When I think of noble wife, noble character. I think of a woman who is just laced with courage. Courage to be who God's calling her to be, not somebody else or something else. I think of a woman who's got courage to be godly even when your husband is not being godly. Don't use his sin and his ungodliness as an excuse for you now to become ungodly. A noble wife, a noble woman has courage to be who God's calling her to be, to be godly even when her husband's being ungodly, has courage to repent from sin and not just to settle and be like, this is all I know. I'm familiar with this. This is comfortable. It's a mess, but it's me. No, you have courage to repent and say, enough's enough. You have courage to trust, to follow, to worship, to love God. That's what I think of And what the Bible teaches, a wife of noble character. She's a courageous woman. Wives, do you have courage? This is not courage to stand up for yourself and make your opinions known. This is courage to be godly, to repent from sin, to not use your husband's laziness and his sin as an excuse to do the same. The wife of noble character will have her Have a great impact or influence on her husband. Wives, you will either be a crown, meaning a very public display in a good way. I'm not talking about the trophy wife, I'm talking about the people that say, Wow, who is your wife? She's so godly, she's amazing. That's a crown. A husband who's proud to wear, metaphorically speaking, the crown. This is my wife. You should know her. A wife also has the power to crush her husband. So do you want to be a crown or do you want to be an instrument ultimately that crushes? Remember that Proverbs in 12? Wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones? Who's that guy? This is the guy who just, he looks like Rocky Balboa in Rocky II after he just got the snot kicked out of him by Apollo Creed. He just looks beaten and defeated. He slumps over with his shoulders like this. He walks with his head low. Why? Because he's either been beaten down himself or his wife is not of noble character. And it's rotting him from the inside out. Proverbs 31, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, praise her. Husbands, what a great thing to say, wife of noble character, you surpass them all. Wives, be noble. Secondly, and you have three as well, secondly is be peaceful. Be peaceful. Be peaceful. Six times in Proverbs alone, this is a verse that's repeated six times. You might be familiar with it because you've heard your husband mumbling, mumbling it. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen. Better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Why is it better to live on the corner of a, a roof or to live in the desert? Because husbands do not want to fight with you. Why don't husbands want to fight with their wives? Because they will lose every time. Even if they win, they still lose. Even if they lose, they still lose. So what do they do? I'd rather just go have my own space, even if it's the corner of a house, where it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's restful. You might live in a 10,000-square-foot mansion, but just give me one square foot and I'll be okay. I'd rather live in the desert than with a wife who is creating hostility in the home. Six times better to live in a desert on the corner than with a wife who is quarrelsome. In a psychological study, one of the second most, uh, it was top five list of emotional needs for men, and the second one on the list uh, was Peaceful that his home would be a place of just peaceful. It would be in Getty. It would be a place where you could just rest. So, wives, if one of your husband's top emotional needs is a home and environment where it's just peaceful, what can you do to avoid being that quarrelsome wife? Number one, just drop it. Whatever it is, just drop it. Proverbs 17, 14, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Just because your husband has given you material to quarrel with him about doesn't mean you have to quarrel with him about it. Most quarrels in marriage are started and sustained because one person is trying so hard to be understood. And the more that they're not understood, the more intense the quarreling gets. You as a wife flip it around. Rather than seeking to be understood, seek to understand. Just flip it around. That will kill a quarrel right there. You might be thinking you just don't know some of the things that he's doing or saying or all of this kind of stuff. If it's sin, if it's sin, that's not grounds to quarrel about, that's grounds to be gracious to him. Not to pick a fight with him about but honey, we need to talk about this. I'm seeing this, whatever it might be. But if it is a sinful thing, then Bible calls you as a noble wife that you would forgive, not fight, not push his buttons. Number one is drop it. And number two of how do you not be the quarrelsome wife? Number two is fight the urge to be historical. Part of dropping it means not picking it back up. This is not just, men can be historical as well. But when it comes to quarrelsome and fights, fight your urge to remind him of what he's done, whether it was a week ago, a year ago, or 10 years ago. One of the things that is just so defeating for a husband is when the wife says, well, do you remember when you did that? And you're like, my goodness, that was 15 years ago. I thought we were done with that. No, because I haven't let it go yet. Drop it. And then fight the urge to be historical. Because really, if you're being historical, you're not letting your husband mature and grow into the godly man you want him to be. Because you're always bringing up the past, his mistakes, his sins, his errors. As long as you continue to bring that up again and again and again and put it in his face, 10 years from now, you'll still be having the same quarrels over the same things. Number 3. And this is the last one. Actually, before I move on, husbands, don't give your wife stuff to quarrel with you about. Might seem simple, but don't give her new material for her to throw back at you. Part of growing in your own godliness is that you're growing in godliness. Number 3. Number 1 was be noble. Number 2 is be peaceful. And number three, as Proverbs teaches, is be sexual. Now, some men are going to be like, wow, I'm really glad that Michael just said that. (laughs) And some wives are going to be like, what did the guy just say? I'll say it again. Be noble, be peaceful. And number three is be sexual. If you are married and you are a wife, Physical intimacy is a really big deal to your husband. It is a really big deal. And I want to be clear, it is not just the act of sex itself. What is really meaningful to your husband is that he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you desire him, that there's no one else that you desire more than him. That's what matters and is important to your husband. So when I say be sexual, there is a physical act I'm talking about, but underneath that is a husband that knows his wife desires him. It's amazing to me if you consider, for those who are not married, maybe you're engaged, the temptation to be physical, to start having sex just like crazy before you get married is so intense. And you're thinking to yourself, when on earth is this wedding day going to get here? As soon as the wedding day gets here, it's amazing how the temptation is reversed. It's no longer, when do we get to do this? It's, we have to do this? Satan knows that if he can throw that temptation and you give way to that, that relationship will be shattered, just like he knows in marriage, if that aspect of your relationship is just not working, not happening, that relationship also will be shattered. Sex is not something we made up, okay? Sex is clearly a gift from God to the marriage relationship. And if you have a healthy, physical, intimate, sexual life in the marriage context, it goes an incredible way of building oneness and unity with your husband. Go back to what I said maybe 45 minutes ago. I'm called to give myself, my wife is called to give herself to me physically, emotionally, spiritually, All of her, all of me. You don't know, Michael, what he's done to me. You don't know what he's looking at. You don't know some of the things I know about my husband, how he's hurt me. I don't. There are certainly times in marriage where you need to hit the brakes and where you both mutually agree to say This physical aspect of our relationship will stop and we will pursue healing and restoration for a season. What happens is it's not mutual, it's one way. Where the wife will say, I've been hurt too much, you've done too much, so I am withholding this from you. And what happens is sex was a gift from God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage, and what is now a gift is now being used as a weapon. Wives. Do not ever use sex as a weapon against your husband, as a way to punish him. Because ultimately what happens, the mindset is, well, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. It's a minor form of prostitution. If you perform, if you behave, if you give me this, then I'll give you myself. I mean, is that really how you wives want to see yourself in the marriage relationship? Sex is if your husband was a good boy. That's how it's going to work. And what happens is, what was a gift is now a weapon and is now being used to control your husband. And if sex is a weapon, if it's just being used to control, what's going to happen is you'll have a marriage that doesn't have unity and oneness, but that has anger and bitterness. Number one for wives, be noble. Number two, be peaceful. Number three, and lastly, was... Be sexual. Last question for wives is, how can I become or be more sexual? Wives, when your husband looks at you and says, you are beautiful, believe him. Don't let your insecurities about you, your body, your appearance, get in the way of fostering a healthy, physical, intimate, sexual life. Your insecurities about what you look like could and will destroy that intimacy. So when your husband looks at you and says, you are so beautiful to me. No, I'm not. No, you are. No, I'm not. Okay, let's fight about it now. When your husband says you're beautiful, look at him and just say, thank you. Thank you. I don't feel beautiful, but thank you for calling me beautiful. And then treat her as she's beautiful Help her get over whatever insecurities she might have. Wives, if you honestly want to become more sexual, talk to your husbands. If you're scared, if you're freaked out, if you're anxious, if you're nervous, he doesn't know that, communicate that to him. I'm scared of this, I'm nervous about this, or whatever it might be. Learn to communicate so that he can learn you and so that you can grow together together. And lastly, just finish with this, is be gracious. If you are going to have a healthy, physical, intimate, sexual life with your spouse, it's got to be so grounded in grace. Because there will be ample times where your husband has just been nothing more than a jerk. Be gracious. Husbands, be gracious to your wives as well. Proverbs 5.18, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. What a picture of what a physical, intimate relationship should and could look like. May you be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Purpose of marriage is to display God. Building a healthy marriage. Good foundation. Men, be at home, be pure, be in love. Women, be noble, be peaceful, be sexual. Last quote from Mr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Welcome one another for the glory of God. That is God's word for your marriage. Thank him for it. Thank him for leading you thus far. Ask him to establish your marriage, to confirm it, sanctify it, preserve it, so your marriage will be for the praise of his glory. Father God, I just, uh, I pray for those who are married. God, I just pray for those who are married and already in that relationship. God, if there's things that need to be confessed, husband to wife, wife to husband, I pray they would do that today. God, I pray that marriages would get right with you, that marriages would begin to understand their purpose is to display you, display the relationship that you have established with us. God, to the marriages that might be here today that are just hurting, crawling, limping. God, I just pray by your grace, you would infuse the husband and infuse in the wife the gospel, that they would be gracious to one another, forgiving to one another, loving to one another. God, I pray for us as husbands. We would be home, we would be pure, and we would love. And to the wives that are here, God, by your grace, that they would be noble, that they would be peaceful and be sexual. Lord, to those who are here today and just have been hurt by marriage, confused by marriage, and are single and thinking about marriage, or even engaged right now, God, I pray that what your word has spoken would resonate, it would stick. God, please let the gospel reign in the marriages, and let the gospel inform how we understand marriage. Be as we start to worship, uh, take some time just to pray, reflect. If you're here with your spouse and you've got something to say, say it. And it could just be, I'm sorry. And if you are here with your spouse, I would love for you to come with your spouse, celebrate, take communion together, pray the gospel over you. But as we worship, we celebrate, uh, the, we celebrate communion here to remember what Jesus has done for us. So if you're a Christian, come take a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me, forgiving me and giving me eternal life. And if you're not a Christian, make the decision to say, Jesus, I trust you with the salvation. You're Savior, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. And ask Jesus to come into your life today.